0: Welcome to The Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast delivering you the insight, ideas and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello and welcome to this very special episode of The Retail Transformation Show. And it's a very special episode because the podcast is celebrating its fifth birthday. Yes, that's right. Back in November 2018, the 1st of November, I tentatively clicked publish on episode one for a new podcast. And fast forward five years, we're now up to episode 263. And I thank you very much. For all of your support over the years, as well as tuning in today, I am Oliver Banks, as always, your host, and as is a tradition now on The Retail Transformation Show, five years in a row surely makes it a tradition, we're going to take a bit of a look back at the past 12 months worth of episodes and pull out some of the best bits and the key takeaways. These are the golden nuggets from The Retail Transformation Show. And we're going to do this over two parts. So in today's episode, episode 263, we're taking a look at the retail side of retail transformation and how the industry is changing and shifting and evolving. And then in the following episode, we're going to take a look at the transformation side and how you can go about driving effective change. We've got loads of clips to get through, and I do hope that this whets your appetite to go and listen to some of those past episodes. Perhaps if you didn't listen to them first time around, or maybe you want to go back and uncover those golden nuggets once again. Either way, head on over to the show notes page where you can get a list of all of the episodes that we touch on today. And you'll find those show notes at obandco.uk slash 2 Six, three. That's obancouk slash 263. So without further ado, let's jump in. And we're going to start with episode 250, Becoming Fit for the Future, and taking a look at a bit of the complexity that exists within the retail market right now. But in this confusing and changing period, we're also discovering more and more contradictions than ever before. You know, for example, we have access to more information, but there are more unknowns than we've ever faced. We're connected to more and more people, but people are feeling a greater disconnection to the wider world. We need to be more focused, but we also need to tackle more topics at any one time. We need to be agile and flexible, but we also need to be resilient. Both consumers and retailers want to be sustainable, but some consumers and some retailers want the opposite. Consumers want to consume a load of cheap products at great prices, and retailers want to drive volume. We need to make big changes, but there is less time to do this. We want to experiment more to discover what works. But there's less room for error in the fragile business environment that we find ourselves in. These contradictions surround us all of the time. Yet despite all of this confusion, we must be fit for the future. So from an episode about becoming fit for the future, we're going to shift to a topic that just 12 months ago would have felt very futuristic. AI has exploded onto the scene across the retail industry, across the business environment, and across the entire world, right? And in episode 223, I had a very special guest to help us understand AI and the future of retail. ChatGPT was on the podcast. I was interviewing ChatGPT. Take a little listen. Here's the clip for episode 223.
1: AI has made significant progress and has the potential to augment and assist in areas that were previously thought to require human skills. It is unlikely that AI will be able to fully replace human empathy and creativity in the near future.
0: Okay, so us humans still have a part to play in the future then?
1: Yes, humans will continue to play a critical role in the future, especially in industries such as retail where personal interaction and human skills are important. While AI has the ability to automate routine tasks and provide valuable insights, human skills such as empathy, creativity, and critical thinking are still essential in many areas of retail. Moreover, humans play an important role in the development and deployment of AI systems. They are responsible for creating and fine-tuning AI models, ensuring the quality of data used to train the models, and making ethical and strategic decisions about how AI is used. In conclusion, while AI has the potential to significantly transform the retail industry, humans will continue to play a critical role in shaping the future of retail and ensuring that AI is used in ways that benefit both businesses and customers.
0: And following that episode, I wanted to dive deeper. So in episode 224, I was sharing 10 thoughts on AI in retail. And in particular, some of the disruptive forces that this technology could provide the industry, companies, and consumers as well. There are loads of different opportunities, and each one of these could provide massive disruption to the retail market, in my opinion. And many, unfortunately, are not in the hands of the retailer. So I think it's going to be especially important as we start to think about Moore's Law and Amara's Law and how AI will continue to evolve. And you start to think, well, what does that mean for tomorrow's consumer? How are they going to shop? How are they going to be using augmented intelligence and assisted intelligence to make them better informed, to help them make decisions, to help them avoid making duff purchases? And ultimately, what does that mean for you as the retailer? How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to ensure that your operation and your operating model for that matter, actually your bigger business model, is truly aligned to your purpose, to your North Star? How are you going to ensure that you are truly delivering for the right set of customers in the right way? And then from AI, let's think about data. Data was one of the big topics at this year's Shop Talk Europe event, as well as many other events. And in episode 241, it was fantastic catching up with Shop Talk's Ben Miller, where we took a look at building on the big takeaways from Shop Talk Europe. And this clip is regarding a session and the takeaways from Alan Bain from H&M, who is helping to transform both the whole company, as well as the CEO's mindset. Here's the clip.
2: He had this fascinating point about, we are at the stage now of understanding that we can develop tools, that the data can create the hypothesis rather than you use data to prove them. So the first stage in that process is not the human, to come up with the idea and you just go into the data to try and prove mm. it but actually how can you change a corporate culture to use data and to have processes that create the ideas and show you the way I and mean, it reminds me so maybe gosh 20 years ago i would uh, used to do training and category management mm. and insights yeah. back in the grocery world i had a colleague uh, that Every time we would run a a category management training session, we'd we'd have a say, and I'm going to get this wrong, so let me try and get this right. (laughs) They they would say, let me try and get this right. Make sure you don't use data like a drunk uses a lamppost. Use it for enlightenment, not support.
0: And whilst we're on the topic of technology, we never stray too far from technology because we live in a digitally enabled world right now. However, it's still critical to be very sensible and strategic with how you are approaching retail technology. Check out this clip from episode 230, where I was taking a bit of a look at retail tech to solve in-store challenges. And this was part one of a two-parter. You know that behind every tech project there should be a core business problem, right? And that's the heart. That's what you need to start with. And equally, when it comes down to actually executing a technology project, it's rare that it's the technology causing the issue. There's another problem sitting at the core. Maybe it's about how the technology is being used. Maybe it's about the relevance or the demand from your customers or the business justification that sits behind the decision or the integration with the wider operating model, or the utilization and the take-up and the change management of using the technology, or perhaps it's about the collaboration across the business, or the availability of having data and knowing what to do with it. With retail technology projects, the challenges are more about the journey of transformation rather than the specific technical solution. Now, one of the big topics around technology is that, of course, of omnichannel. But recently, we've started to see a new phrase coming out, unified commerce, and in the last episode, actually, episode 262, I took a look at omnichannel versus unified commerce. Now, one of the big common challenges with omnichannel is that consumers don't talk about omnichannel. and they definitely don't, right? No two people are talking with their friends and say, oh, I love this omnichannel retailer, right? No one talks like that. But let me tell you, they also definitely would not talk about unified commerce, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be something we think about or talk about, right? Because let me tell you, customers also don't talk about sales targets. They don't talk about KPI. They don't talk about replenishment processes or stock control routines or supply chains or budgets or workforce management or acquisition costs. You get the idea. Just because a customer doesn't talk about something, it doesn't mean it's not relevant. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be working on delivering this to help us run an effective business and operate a superb customer proposition. Now, one of the big channels that has really grown over the past 12 months has been that of the marketplace. Many different retailers have expanded into offer marketplaces, and there's a real recognition that listing across different marketplaces can offer many more outlets to ultimately make sales and drive revenue and profits. So it was fantastic to dive into the opportunity of using marketplaces to grow your business in episode 240. But unfortunately, it's not all plain sailing, so this is from a section where I was taking a look at some of the challenges of growing through retail marketplaces. It's easy to overwhelm a customer with an incredible range, incredibly large range that is, plus your business management of that huge range is also going to be overwhelmed. It's likely that with this marketplace, you're gonna have a very long tail with lots of slow selling and even some no selling items. And therefore it's really hard to assess sales and conversion patterns. So you may need to adjust how you are thinking about category management to be able to roll up sales and different products to see the pattern, have enough data and enough confidence in the trends that you are seeing. So if retail marketplaces have been a big trend this year, then so too has been retail media or retail media networks. Loads of different companies are really pursuing it as a profitable and relatively easy revenue add-on. And almost a year ago now, how time flies. <laughs> it was fantastic to catch up with Microsoft's Ricardo Belmar, one of the world's top retail influencers. And in episode 214, we were talking about the evolution of retail ad and media networks. But like marketplaces, it's not all plain sailing. So here is a challenge around retail media networks.
3: How much is too much from the consumer's perspective? Is there a risk that the media networks and brands be more successful with it if they have too many ads and is that somehow going to drive consumers to their competitors that don't have a media network because they won't see ads on their website is that going to be more appealing to consumers because they've just too much is too much so yeah there's definitely a situation where from the consumer's perspective at what point is too many ads just too much and if we look ahead to where there might be 10 competitors in a category and maybe only the top two or three have a successful media network and the others say, I'm just going to turn this off. I'm not making any money from it. Let's just quit. Well, when does the consumer say, you know, I'm tired of getting all these ads at those two or three retailers. I'm just going to go shop at one of the other ones where I don't get ads. And at that point, what what happens, right? What happens next? Does the retailer see a drop? Because they obviously will be looking at this data. Does that then mean that these media networks are long-term not going to succeed. I think it's kind of hard for us to predict that right now, but it's certainly, I think we all need to be open to the possibility that in a sense, right, consumers have a limit to what they're willing to tolerate.
0: Now, from lots of technology, we must also recognize that sometimes we do overcomplicate things. Sometimes we need to just engage customers on a person-to-person basis. Here's a little moment to reflect on from episode 245, Elevating Customer Conversations. Take a listen. Let me ask you to think about a great and recent experience that you have had, ideally with a retailer. So just think back. When has been a time fairly recently that you've just had the most amazing time? You've really enjoyed that shopping experience as a customer, whether you bought something or not, by the way. Now, given you are an individual, you could have any number of different experiences in your mind at this stage, but chances are you're probably not thinking about a regular purchase experience where everything just worked as expected. When an operating model just works, we tend to not think, as customers, we tend to not think it that amazing. It's expected behavior, right? And if just going through in a standard way is an amazing experience, then there's probably something quite severely wrong (laughs) with the whole retail industry. But when you ask your customers about their best experiences, certainly when I ask them, they're often stories about when something has gone wrong or something has not gone to plan, but that situation has been resolved effectively by a colleague, by a person in conversation with that customer, you or another customer. Because great experiences involve an interaction with people. And given that many, if not all, retailers want to focus on that customer experience and obsessing over customers, we want to make sure that we can engage with customers through relevant conversations. And following on from the topic of great relationships, it reminds me of episode 251, where I was talking about unleashing the power of retail community. And here I'm talking about some of the benefits that you can open up through an effective and meaningful community with your customers and colleagues. There are loads of different benefits from my point of view. Firstly, thinking about customer loyalty and retention, because an engaged community of people encourages repeat visits to your store, your website, your social media profile, because they're being regularly engaged in a conversation. And as they are regularly engaged in a conversation, people build emotional connections. They get involved. They get bought into the relationships within the community as well as with your brand. And so those relationships and that emotional connection makes it really hard for customers to become unloyal. It makes it hard to switch brands because people have this genuine excitement to share a passion and to discuss and join like-minded people. And when you find that group, that community, it does make the whole retail offering sticky. It's hard to leave if you also need to leave your friends. So you earn loyalty and you build up better attention. So let's take a bit of a pivot right now. And actually, speaking of that, some of the biggest winners in the retail market over the past few years have been those companies that can pivot quickly. They can be responsive to changing customer behaviors, changing customer habits, changing trends in the marketplace and this was a topic that i loved to dive into with lisa amlani in episode 225 called transforming ranging and curation and here we're thinking about what retailers can learn from those highly responsive companies
4: i would say we can take elements from what fast fashion and ultra fast fashion players are doing today and what they are doing is they are testing product with their customer seeing what they like before they mass produce they are leveraging things like insights they are closing the feedback loop they have a materials mindset so if you walk into a zara or any other fast fashion retailer and brand what they're doing is their designers are designing into materials so textiles prints etc what we're seeing most brands and retailers doing today is that they are first designing, then they're going to find materials. So that takes a lot of time. So that's where we can learn from fast fashion and ultra fast fashion. Mm. The other thing we can learn from them is that it is possible to be fast.
0: Transforming the business to become a high velocity, fast retailer is a major change to the operating model, but it can actually represent a major change to the business model as well. And looking at transforming the business model is a topic that we all need to get more comfortable with, I believe. In episode 255, I explained why this was, backed up with some data from Bain, and spoiler alert, the bottom line is, in the next few years, a significant chunk of your profits are gonna come from new business models. And that's why it's gonna become increasingly important to move beyond the traditional business model. So check this one out from episode 255, where I'm considering one of the key skills or traits that you need to be able to take on as you explore new business opportunities. Check it out you still need to try a number of different initiatives before you perhaps find the proverbial diamond in the rough. And to help you refine that diamond, you're gonna need to use a number of different stages of expansive thinking, where you're adding more ideas into the hopper, so to speak, and then using reductive thinking to critique the ideas and narrow down the options. And then you're gonna want to continue this and revert into more expansive thinking and then reductive thinking. You know, think of more ideas, condense them down to the best option for the overall business, the customers, the proposition, the operating model, the measures, and so on, so on. Each time, consider more options and then narrow them down. And this is really important when you're moving into a new territory, as we're talking about, beyond the traditional business model. You don't know the way. And assuming that the first idea is the best idea is probably not the right answer. Now, one of the companies that has really pushed the boundaries with new business models is that of Amazon. In episode 257, called Unpacking How Amazon Have Expanded, I highlighted some of the characteristics and cultures that Amazon have deployed to be so innovative. But I also took a look at Amazon's long list of failures as well and here's why I did that. Check out the clip. Why am I talking about all of these failures rather than what Amazon are doing to be successful? Well firstly it's to show the extent of Amazon's experimentation. They are putting out lots of little opportunities to see which ones flourish. It's a term called greenhousing, and it's brilliant at looking at a broad scope of innovation to assess where there is genuine potential. And really here, Amazon are, in a way, playing a game of chance. They have lots of different viable sounding opportunities. And so they're having lots of goes at seeing which ones work. And therefore, it's a game of statistics. There is a greater likelihood of finding a successful business model and a successful business if you try a lot. But with that, you also have to fail a lot as well. And some of these failures have been high profile, but some have not been. Some have been sort of under the radar. They've never got off the ground enough to be highly visible, and they haven't captured the attention of consumers or the media to make a big song and dance out of it, so to speak. So as we're thinking about ways of working and processes for Amazon's expansion, what's the takeaway here? Well, for me, It's about how Amazon sets itself up intentionally to work quickly and collaboratively, and how it values real-life trials rather than just speculative chat. I'm sure we've all been in a little too many meetings where we've been talking about an idea where nothing actually happens. We've got to change this if we want to drive our business forwards. Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, often talks about failing and with the concept that if you're not failing, then you're not innovating. But all of these different failed projects and initiatives that we've just spoken about are learning experiences. They show what works and what doesn't. Now, another avenue that many companies have used to expand more recently is through acquisitions, especially as many companies have found themselves facing administration, of course, and more retail groups are starting to make some quick buyouts and quick purchases to bring new brands, new capabilities, and new assets into the group. So in episode 215, Making Acquisition Successful, I took a look at how you can do just that. But once again, there are some watchouts. Take a listen. Acquisition can distract. It can blow you off course in both the short and the medium term. Acquisitions are big strategic plays. They take up a lot of headspace, particularly of the executive team, but also functional experts throughout the business as well. And when you are focused on an acquisition and your attention is on the acquisition rather than the core business, it's easy for that proverbial cash cow of the core business to drift, to lose pace to lose momentum, right? So you have to think, is your core business in a place that is sustainable in terms of leadership, in terms of direction, in terms of performance? And how can you avoid your acquisition distracting you and blowing you off course? Avoiding distractions is a key trait, of course. And so too is that of simplification. Simplification is an important topic that must regularly be high up the agenda. And especially in the world that we live in right now with so many different shifts coming into the retail marketplace, it's easy for a simple operating model to suddenly become incredibly complex and incredibly complicated. Now in episode 260, I was taking a look at unlocking retail simplification. And as part of this episode, I introduced a really key idea for you to consider if you are thinking about simplification. And that idea is that variation is the enemy of simplification. And in this clip, I'm exploring this idea in a little bit more detail to help you be more simple. Variation means we need to apply more flexibility because There are many different scenarios, many different factors to consider. More thinking power is needed. More decision making is needed. Whether that is an internal decision that you are thinking about it yourself, or whether you need to go and collaborate and discuss with other people before making that decision. This is not simple. Simple is knowing instantly what you need to do. And it's quick. And easy and reliable and repeatable. Let's expand on those words just for a moment. We'll start with easy. It does not require advanced training. There is no major thinking involved relative to the rest of the process. Simple means it's quick, it's not overly laborious. And depending on what the task is, we might be talking about one second, we might be talking about one hour, one day, could be anything, right? But relatively, it is not overly laborious. Let's think about the word reliable. This is the ability to do the same thing multiple times and expect the same outcome. Going back to that assembly line example, you put the bolt in the hole and tighten it up, you know exactly what's going to happen. It is a reliable process, that one. Now, of course, this is not always possible to keep things reliable, especially when you add in the highly variable aspect of different people, be that different customers or colleagues, but you want to get your ways of working, your processes, your propositions as reliable as possible. And then the final word we touched on there was repeatable. And this is about different people being able to do the same task with the same result. So if we go back to our assembly line worker and we take that individual person out of the assembly line and put someone else in, they can put the bolt in the same hole, tighten it up and expect the exact same result. Low variation, it's fantastic. Now, of course, in retail, often, (laughs) we don't have the luxury of the closed, highly controlled nature of a factory assembly line, right? Now, simplification can, of course, lead to some cost savings as well. And cost savings have been high up the agenda and this was a topic I actually spoke to Lindsay Mazza about in episode 228. We were talking about what customers want in 2023. And spoiler alert, I think it's gonna be largely similar in 2024. So do go and check that one out. And as a follow on from that, we were exploring what it means for retailers about how you can deliver what customers want. So here's Lindsay Mazza.
5: I really believe right now that a model of exclusively focusing on taking cost out is not going to achieve the success because consumers demand experiences at the same time that they demand lower costs, but a model of moving to creating sustainability that's affordable and leading with purpose in those charges of fair trade and social justice is going to be the new model. And the way that we achieve that is by transforming our operations by creating automation in our business processes. Mm. You know, we talked about labor costs and how that's increasing. So unfortunately, there's also been this shift of store labor doing the activities that consumers used to do, like picking and packing, especially in the foods and household essentials business. Well, where this is, is, is we can create automation for store employees in being able to do that role that helps get those more productive use of the labor, more strategic use of the labor that we have in stores.
0: Being cost conscious and frugal is certainly one way to help drive the bottom line. And at the end of the day, we need to continue to remember that running a business is about delivering profit for shareholders and stakeholders if we do that it allows us to remain in business and continue to deliver for our customers now of course that's a hugely obvious statement but profitability remains a challenge so in episode 261 called uncovering the path to retail profitability i unveiled six different work streams that you must focus on to boost this important metric And if you need a hand with these six work streams, then do reach out. I'd love to talk to you about ob cos new Path to Profitability service, helping to make the most of what you've got and focus on meaningful growth. So here is the clip from episode 261, where I'm diving into one of these work streams, pricing. Check it out. So it remains an important factor and a super simple factor as well, but it is super sensitive with that and an uncontrolled yank of the pricing lever will seriously negatively affect your business. Push the price up too high, suddenly your volume evaporates instantly, right? If you pull it down too low, then you're going to leave money on the table. You're probably going to trade through all your stock very quickly perhaps even at a loss. Oh, and by the way, you might or might not even know about if you're making a loss, depending on how much you really understand the true end-to-end pricing of your business and all of the other cost lines, both variable and non-variable. And so dynamic pricing is a really big opportunity. It's one that I'm super excited about right now, because it means that you as a retail business can adjust prices based on the very exact and specific situation that lies ahead of you right now. You can balance your supply, your demand. You can bring in lots of different factors and it can be a hugely complex challenge. And of course, if you're a pricing manager, there are so many different factors that you would ideally want to build into your pricing calculation. But of course, when you start applying the scale that the retail industry has to offer, it quickly becomes unviable. Now we're almost done with this episode. We've got one more clip to go. And if these different episodes have piqued your interest, then do head over to the show notes at obandco.uk slash 263. That's obandco.uk 263, where you'll find references to all of the different episodes we've touched on today. And I do encourage you to go back into the podcast archives and check them out. And you might even fancy checking out the Golden Nuggets episode from the end of year four, one year ago. And I'd also love to hear from you. Which was your favorite Golden Nugget takeaway? Or perhaps was there a different takeaway that has stuck in your mind? Post it on LinkedIn or send me a message via LinkedIn as well. So our final clip is from episode 258. Now, this episode was called The Story Behind My Upcoming Book. And writing my first book has been a big focus over the past 12 months. It's called Driving Retail Transformation, How to Navigate Disruption and Change. And it presents a guide, a how to approach transformation and change, whether we're talking about Big fundamental shifts or smaller incremental improvements. Driving Retail Transformation is out in March 2024 and it's available for pre-order in all good booksellers right now. So over the upcoming months, we're definitely going to be diving into the topics included in the book in much more detail. But for now, I wanted to share this clip where we're all going to get a little bit meta because I'm referencing a clip which references the book. Enjoy. So what I'd like to do right now is share some of the words, do a little reading from the book for the very first time. And this is from a section called The Diagnostics of Transformation. Here goes. As you drive your transformation, you should continually check the health of your initiative, and cross-reference against the broader situation in the business. But what's the best way of discovering the health, especially where there is no track history and when the situation can change regularly? Tollgates, phase gates, and formal reviews are often used for transformation, but these are infrequent and complex, plus can be perceived as a red-tape-heavy process to restrict progress and micromanage. In some instances, they don't actively support the successful delivery of a transformation, instead enforcing compliance to a series of detailed measures. This is like vehicles which must pass annual checks in the form of MOTs in the UK and other variants in different countries. With detailed measurements and plenty of inspections to be performed, it ensures a car is roadworthy and will hopefully remain so until the next assessment. The assessment results in a clear pass or fail, which is rarely the case in transformation. The assessment is complicated and not foolproof. These vehicle assessments are the equivalent of a formal tollgate. So to find the best solution, let's come out of the world of retail and transformation. Dot, 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 to be continued. And that is where we're gonna end today's little reading. A little bit of a tease there, but it's setting up how the retail transformation steering wheel works, where the inspiration comes from. Like I say, it's outside of the world of retail and transformation. I do love a little bit of left field thinking, and that's important, right? Within transformation, you have to think of things in a different way and look at things from a different point of view, a different perspective, because I think as Albert Einstein perhaps once said, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. So there we go this marks the end of the first of our tour de force of the golden nuggets from the past 12 months thanks so much for listening in today and do hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app to make sure that you catch the next episode episode 264 where we conclude our golden nugget wrap-up looking at more of the transformation tips and how you go about enacting and driving effective change across your retail organisation. Like I mentioned, I would love to hear from you. Which was your favourite golden nugget? What's been your best bit from the past 12 months worth of episodes? Share it on a post on LinkedIn, perhaps. Tag me in. I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to joining you in more episodes of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Thanks for listening, and thanks for all your support. Bye for now.